Welcome to the Fallon Farm. It's Ed Fallon, folks, broadcasting from Des Moines, Iowa. Hey, thanks to our anchor sponsor, Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's Central Iowa's premier good food store. Gateway brings together the world's finest products with Iowa-grown foods and passionate, personalized service. If you're looking for quality foods with a community focus, check out Gateway Marketing Cafe. A quick shout-out, before we dig into the big stuff here, a quick shout-out to the Des Moines Irish Session for providing our bumper music. If you're in the Des Moines metro, there's an open session happening somewhere every Tuesday. Okay, so I used to be on, I've been doing this program for 14 years now. Never missed a week. In fact, I used to do it four or even five times a week, which, looking back, um, was insane. Uh, <laughs> and I got my start on a, well, actually, I probably got my start substituting for, believe it or not, Jan Michelson on WHO Radio once in a while. Uh, they thought that was their idea of how, having some balance was to bring me on occasionally. But I was on this uh, big commercial station. Uh, we covered maybe a third of the counties in Iowa. And that was four days a week for an hour. Uh, they had me on to replace Michael Savage. And the, the audience was appalled. I mean, they were calling the station complaining, we want our Michael Savage back. Yeah, who's this lib? Get this libtard onto public radio where he belongs. Anyway, uh, they kept me on for a few years there uh, until Cumulus bought that station. That's an even bigger uh, station. They were not interested in any balance at all. They brought Savage back on and had a 24-7 lineup of, uh, of right-wing talk radio. But, you know, most of my callers back then, we had, we had six lines, and most the lines were often full, and they were almost always full of, you know, conservative callers. And I, I, I relish that dialogue. I, I, I appreciate that dialogue. But, <laughs> but, you know, sometimes it goes way too far. And I, I, have, um, I have my detractors that sometimes I just don't know what to do with them. I mean, and my favorite is a guy named Gary. Hello, Gary. I know you're out there. And Gary writes at least once a month. And um, I'm going to show you a few of the uh, dialogues, if I can call them that, that Gary and I have had. Uh, one was on carbon dioxide pipelines. Imagine me writing or, or doing a segment of my program about that. Well, that was last month, September. And Gary wrote back, the Democratic Party is the driver behind building CO2 pipelines. Okay, Fact, uh, it is a bipartisan problem, primarily led by one of the biggest Republican donors in the state, Bruce Rastetter, and uh, Republican leaders at the state level, like uh, Governor Kim Reynolds. Sure, President Biden and a bipartisan Congress were behind the, uh, the tax credits that are making this even possible. But to say it's a Democratic Party-driven thing? No, that's only half the equation, Gary. Gary goes on. All the Iowa Democrats who say they oppose the pipelines are liars and hypocrites. Okay, first of all, there's not enough Iowa Democrats opposing the pipelines, in my, my experience. And those of us who do, I think he means he thinks we're liars and hypocrites because we believe in carbon sequestration. Yeah, we should be sequestering carbon. We should be doing it with natural approaches, trees, wetlands, things like that. Not mechanical stuff that is clearly there to make some money for some, some big campaign donor. Gary goes on. He says, anyway, people can receive a fair accommodation for the pipelines crossing their property, contrary to all the lies Democrats are telling. Again, interesting, the biggest, um, the biggest opposition to forced eminent domain is coming from Republicans. 
I mean, there's, a, again, a few Democrats, but there's more Republicans standing up to their own party who are saying that, no, it's not right. So, you know, you can say that uh, this is fair, uh, you know, fair accommodation, a fair price. But if that landowner doesn't want that pipeline coming across their property, there's no price in their mind that's fair. They just don't want to deal with that. They, you could, there were some of these, some landowners, you could say, oh, we'll give you a million bucks. And they'd say, no, they don't want that on their property. So, Gary, you're wrong again. I'm sorry. You're wrong every time, Gary. I'm sorry. Almost every time. Once in a while, we agree. Uh, Gary also says, science is not on your side. When you take a look at the full history of climate events, your whole narrative falls to pieces. And I think by that he means the tired trope that climate is always changing. Because, yes, climate on planet Earth, whether you believe it's 6,000 years old or 4 billion years old, has always been changing. Slowly. And that's the big difference. Slowly. Except when you've got like an asteroid hitting the planet, I suppose. Or major volcanic eruption. Something like that. Or a species that is out of control and extracting fossil fuels from the earth and burning that. So, you know, uh, yeah. Um, sorry, Gary, you're wrong again. Gary and I, we also had an exchange about book bans. And he said, uh, Ed, you are a liar. There is no effort going on to ban books. You cannot provide a single example. And he goes on to claim that book banning is really just um, making sure that age-appropriate age material is in schools. Well, come on. Who's deciding that? You know, you've got, you've got a posse of right-wing extremists who don't like To Kill a Mockingbird or Anne Frank's Diary. And they're out there making sure that those books and a whole bunch of others, a lot of them to do with LGBT kids, um, a lot of them de dealing with uh, issues of race. Yeah, I mean... Those are important parts of our history, past and present. And, you know, sure, there are, there are definitely books that are probably inappropriate, but let's let the appropriate authorities decide, the people we elect to the school boards, the people that get put in charge of the school district, the principals, teachers, come on. Uh, so to say no books are being banned, no, that's just not consistent with reality. Gary goes on to tell me, stop with the progressive lies. I'm not sure why progressive has to be in front of the word lie. A lie is a lie, right? Uh, <laughs> he says, your attack on our culture, and I highlighted our culture. He says, your attack on our culture is offensive and disgusting, but your behavior is even worse for telling lies with a straight face. Well, how does he know I have a straight face when I'm telling these lies? This is radio. You know, I could be, I could be doing all sorts of things with my face. He doesn't know that. And to say that it's our culture, I found that fascinating because I think a lot of times when somebody defends... Uh, book banning or burning even or some of these other extreme, uh, you know, religiously based uh, initiatives as our culture, they're referring very specifically to a culture that, 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 that defines them. But they don't, they don't want to broaden that to a, a greater def definition of culture in America, which is pretty diverse, which is one cool thing about our country. At least it has been historically. So last year, Gary and I got into it on democracy and the risk of dictatorship. He said, I was, I was pointing out some of the problems with January 6th. And he says, Biden has laid the groundwork for dictatorship already. And he listed the 100 executive orders and the halting of the border construction and how he's used the DOJ and the FBI to harass Trump. Massive, massive uh, federal spending, you know, on and on. You know, I, and I don't... Um, I don't doubt that uh, the groundwork for dictatorship in this country is being laid. There, there are various players involved in that. Uh, but, I, you know, 
I'm, I'm not going to. Joe Biden is not is not trying to create a dictatorship for all his flaws. And you, and you, if you listen to this program, you know I'm a very regular critic critic of uh, President Biden. Not entirely. Done some good things, done some bad things, but I don't hesitate to offer criticism when I feel it's appropriate. But to say that the Biden administration is the one laying a groundwork, a groundwork for you know dictatorship, uh, that just doesn't stand up. So. Uh, yeah, he goes on about education. Um, uh, people, ex- uh, your, your comments about schools and teaching are lies, exaggerations, and distortions. Basically, every time I say something, he calls it a lie. And that's enough to mean that it's not true. I guess they, if he calls it a lie, it's got to be a lie. He says, uh, people expect the real history of slavery and racism to be taught. The democratic version includes teaching black children they are born victims and white children are born oppressors. Anyone who thinks that appropriate Anyone who thinks that is appropriate is an idiot. Okay, well, you know, yeah. Teaching of American history should include slavery and racism, and it shouldn't be just that all black kids are born victims and white kids are oppressors. That's not it, Gary. Gary, if you, if you believe that's all there is to it, then you really haven't studied history very closely. There's a long history of you mean slavery. Gosh, how do you deny that? And how do you deny that that doesn't leave some kind of mark on a people. I mean, my, my ancestors from our, I, I, you know, my ancestry is Irish. And my, my folks, my, my, <laughs> my relatives in Ireland still feel the impact of the potato famine from the 1840s, 50s. So finally, my, my final dialogue with Gary that I want to share with you here is about January 6th, the U.S. Capitol riot, as some of us call it, but not Gary. He says, you know, Ed, it reflects poorly on you that you ignore facts. The only people who died on January 6th were unarmed people killed by the Capitol Police. Okay, Gary, well, there were also the five police officers, um, four who committed suicide after being wounded or severely traumatized by the experience. Yeah, there's that. (laughs) Gary goes on to say, not one person has been charged with insurrection or gun violence on January 6th. And again, to his defense, Gary wrote this a couple years ago. And that might have been true back then, but oops, sorry, wrong now. Nope. As of uh, September 12th of this year, 378 people have so far been sentenced to jail for their roles in the uh, riot. That's from a Newsweek story. So, yeah. (laughs) Gary also says video footage shows the Capitol Police inviting people into the Capitol. That's a great one because you look at this video and there's an officer waving his arm and uh, some guy named Josh Helfgott reposted that video with the caption, a police officer waved them all in. And that video on TikTok received millions of views, more than a half a million likes. I fact-checked it. And in Snopes, which is a very uh, reliable fact-checked source, uh, as you looked at the video and it showed more detail, and as you, as you, you know, talk with the Capitol Police officers themselves, it was all clear. The officer was waving other officers away from the front line because the violence was getting out of hand. He was waving them to fall back. <laughs> so, oh, Gary, Gary, Gary. Well, one more thing. Gary goes on to say that um, for months in 2020, Antifa and leftist Democrats killed tens of people. That's not a mistake. Tens of people. I guess that means 20 or 30 and destroyed billions in property. I assume that means billions of dollars in mostly black neighborhoods. Again, PolitiFact says the false claim was that black lives matter 
injures a thousand people, uh, sorry, a thousand police officers and kills 36 people. Yeah, so there was um, there were lives lost, damage done, but there's no evidence to back up these specific numbers. And the actual number of dead attributed to Antifa, I'm not even sure what leftist Democrats is, Antifa, because Antifa is pretty much anti both parties. <laughs> so the actual number of deaths attributed to Antifa is one, not tens. Again, whatever that means. By contrast, the number of deaths attributed to white supremacists and white, white, white wing, right wing extremists is 329. And that's from a study by Seth Jones with the Center for Strategic and International Studies. So, you know, I mean, we can go on and on with this. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't, you know, I'm always willing to be corrected. Yeah, I don't. I, I I get my I get my facts wrong once in a while, and I'm willing to go back and say, okay, let's look at this, and yeah, maybe I made a mistake there. But, but this is almost like a like a like an eagerness to ignore reality. I mean, some of this stuff is just out there. You don't have to dig very deep. I'm, I mean, I I I had not researched any of this any of these these numbers before this program. It's not hard to find out how many people Antifa actually killed. You know, and again. A lot of the rhetoric is just just hyped up. It's just exaggerated. So anyway, I've got I've got other detractors too. I'm happy to happy to report, and some of them are um are even like scarier than Gary. I mean, Gary doesn't scare me. It just I just wish he would think a little bit more deeply about things other than just through a very strictly partisan lens. So one guy wrote to me a couple years ago. He says teachers need more, schools need more, all of government needs more. This was in response to a program about labor, labor union strikes. He says, maybe I can get a second or maybe a third job to pay so others can get what they are owed. Ed, you are a socialist, and I get it, but I am more than bored of hearing about how all you folks are owed more. I joined the military for four years and paid my debt in full for being in this country. Did you? I go on to respond, um, yeah, labor struggles have nothing to do with public, and most labor struggles have nothing to do with public employees. The biggest problem is big corporations not treating their workers fairly. I also tell them I'm not a socialist. I believe in the free market. I wish we had one. I also say I was born in the gap where one did not have to register for military service. Instead, I've made a lifetime of giving back to my country and my community. You? <laughs> I, mean, I probably shouldn't have thrown that in there because it really ticked them off. He says, giving back to your community is not quite the same as putting your life on the line for four years. For $372.50 a month, nice try, Ed, you insultive piece of CRAP. Um, <laughs> I think I can say that on an FCC-regulated station, but to be safe, I spelled it. So I say, you know, teaching, military service, public office, climate activism, it's all important. Best not to denigrate anyone's contribution. And he writes back, best not to be an idiot. So when I find you, and I will, okay, he goes on to clarify what he means by finding me in another um, another message. Um, apparently, I'm not in any real danger because he's going to send me off to a facility for the insane. We will be toe to toe and eye to eye. I will be evaluating you in order to send you off to facility for the insane. I will be contacting the local news outlets as to your plan. I'm not sure what my plan is. And I am personally inviting you to meet. Happy to meet. And I will bring the straight jacket for you. Never mind, Gary. I mean, I mean, Richard. I got my own straight jacket. I, it's, it's handy. I, I know where it is if I ever need it, and I, can, I even know how to put it on. Anyway, 
Uh, actually, I don't have a straight jacket, and I'm happy not to. But so anyway, you know, I, I get a lot of this. I, I get I get stuff on the other. I could spend an entire segment of this program talking about all the attacks I get from the left. There is a toxic left, and it is out of control. And uh, it's it's again, it's not as threatening, damaging, and dangerous as the toxic right. But gosh, wouldn't it be nice to get rid of both sides of this uh, of this um, of this uh, you know, th- these extremes and have an intelligent dialogue about how we actually address the problems in this country and how we actually refer to factual stuff at the same time. Hey, um, got a short break. Uh, back in a minute, I'm going to take you out with a, um, with a tune by uh, Grant Peebles called Insurrection Song. Well, let us all remember the day and 21. The 6th of January when the deadly deed was done Oh, they charged right up the hallowed steps Busted down the doors They were shoving past and breaking glass And spitting on the floors It was an insurrection So patriots must stand And heed the call for justice And let your see be damned Cause freedom's just another word For all we have to lose Let the sons of trot in jail For what they tried to do Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market. Good food, great community. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures, great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Welcome back, folks. Hey, thanks to the Catholic Peace Ministry, an independent nonprofit with no ties to the Des Moines Catholic Diocese, for being one of our sponsors. Uh, Catholic Peace Ministry focuses on nuclear disarmament, the need for diplomacy in Ukraine, and ending the permanent war economy. Learn more at CatholicPeaceMinistry.org. Thanks also to Architecture by Synthesis. Owner Mark Klipsham asks that you use the most energy-efficient methods you can afford and the greenest, longest-lasting materials available. Examples of Mark's work can be found at architecturebysynthesis.com. Hey, I'm really happy to have uh, Brian Terrell join us from the uh, bustling southern Iowa metropolis of Malloy. Population, what, 28 people, Brian? Um, I think so, yeah. Yeah, well, I'm sure you're going to grow to a few million uh, in the next uh, couple decades. Yeah, we have great plans for this little town. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, so are you going to be... you're going to be visiting Des Moines this uh, next Thursday, I understand, to give a talk. Yes, I'll be meeting of the uh, Women's International League for Freedom. Uh, it'll be on Thursday at the Central Senior Center on Forest Avenue, uh, talking at their 
regular meeting about the, the current uh, threat of nuclear war. And that's a really warm and fuzzy topic that everybody's dying to talk about. Uh, and unfortunately, um, what I think people don't realize is that we've, uh, you know, was, what was a threat 50 years ago or more is mm-hmm. at least as much of a threat these days. And maybe more people are realizing, do you, let, me, let me know, let me see, see what you think. I mean, my sense is more people are realizing that, yes, we still have a nuclear threat, uh, in part because of what's been going on in Ukraine. Well, I, I, I hope so. I, I think, um, you know, I'm just old enough to remember as a child uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis. And, of course, I didn't understand it at four years old, but I did. I could feel fear of my parents and, and other adults during that time. And I, I, I still remember that. And uh, all the best minds, you know, the, you know um, Bolton for the atomic scientists and others are saying that, that, that we're at a time that's gets even uh, more dangerous today. Uh, than it was then, and uh, it goes with, with very, very little notice. It's, it's, it really ought to be one of the number one topics of our discussion and, hmm. and uh, yeah, the, the, of the public view at this point. Well, and we do try to keep it front and center on this program because there is definitely an awareness among our audience that it is, it is, it's, it's not, a, it's not a problem or a threat that's gone away. I mean, uh, climate change is front and center, and that's as it should be. That's a, that's a, a definitely an existential threat, but. But um, I think maybe my, my sense is that there's some complacency because we've gone decades now without, without, a, without a, a nuclear bomb being dropped anywhere that we can. I mean, there were plenty of nuclear tests going on. There were some accidents, but we haven't had the kind of, uh, you know, tragedy that we saw back in 1945 in Japan. And so maybe there's some complacency now. Well, you mentioned the Cuban Missile Crisis and... You know, that's all kind of faded from people's minds as well. Is that is that part of the problem? Is just the the, the span of time has created complacency? Uh, yes, and 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 also um, there's there's been just like in the last fifteen years an erosion of of uh, you know the fear of, of of the doctrine of mutually assured destruction. You know that that for a long time, uh, even as we were building more and more nuclear weapons. It seemed like the you know the actual use of nuclear weapons in war after Hiroshima was uh, almost unthinkable, and th- there was an understanding, a very pragmatic, cold understanding that that a nuclear war, what started, would not be controllable, and would lead to the end of of humanity and most of the life. And um, it's been very very disturbing these just last few years with the United States in the lead, and now Russia is, is echoing the same kind of. So is that uh, a nuclear war can be won. So um, when 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 did can, when, when did that when did that shift start? Well, I I really think it was with President Obama in uh, two thousand nine, I believe it was, when he announced a multi-trillion-dollar uh, uh, progress style stewardship and life extension. Stewardship usually is like we talk about stewardship over the topsoil and the water, and and you know it, it's it's saving things to pass on to another generation. And after gen- after some decades of talk about getting rid of nuclear weapons and some actual reduction, now it's talk about this is a stockpile that needs stewardship. So Obama actually Obama actually called said, said stewardship in reference to yes, yes upgrading nuclear very, weapons. Um, yeah. You know, very strange use of language, um, and uh, yeah, and, and it was about that time that with the development of these new nuclear weapons that are much more flexible, 
and easier to deploy and have a longer lifespan uh, than the old nukes. Um, yeah, so, so we're, we're passing, this is what we're passing on to future generations. So mm -hmm. the hope of getting rid of, of this is, is, uh, is, is eroded. Um, now, know, we, the, remind, last year, the, Remind me of two things, Brian. So, so President Obama, did he not pledge during his campaign for presidency the first time around that one of his goals was to get rid of nuclear weapons? Oh, yes, he did. <laughs> yeah, okay. Did he not also receive the Nobel Peace Prize? Yes. Okay, and how, how, do, those yes. things, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, how do those two things fit in with um, upgrading, you know, being, being good stewards of our nuclear weapons? Well, I, 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 it, it's, it is an irony, and, 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 I, and I think it's uh, unfortunately lost on too many people. Mm. Um, it, you know, it seems somehow, it seems like for the United States to take care of its nuclear weapons and to expand them and to um, increase their reach and everything, it seems like it's, uh, that seems like a, a prudence. And the United States is now, um, they're spending millions of dollars, billions of dollars now at the nuclear test site. I was just there last week. In Nevada, uh, to to be ready for, you know, more real tests and also to expand the 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 the, uh, the subcritical tests that are going on now. And when, when we do it, it's considered uh, prudence. But China and Russia are doing the same thing, and that's considered a threat. Reckless, yeah. So again, um, under and, under under Obama, we saw a, a kind of a, a you know an erosion of of mad mutually assured destruction, which <laughs> that's not a very uh, reassuring um, nuclear policy either, but, but uh, the idea that you could win a nuclear war, that you can continue to upgrade your systems and that's good stewardship. Uh, that's really disturbing. Uh, and now we see, you mentioned, uh, you know, the, 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 the practice seems to be, the approach seems to be continued under President Biden. What about in the middle there with four years of Trump? What, what, what was Trump's approach to nuclear weapons? Oh, his, his approach was, uh, uh, if we have these things, why aren't we using them? So, very fortunate, we, 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 we survived uh, uh, four years of Trump with his uh, finger on the button. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think complacent that, that, that uh, you know, that, that he's not in office, um, or even that keeping him out is going to be the, the, the answer to all of this, because it's, it's really systemic. It goes really, you know, it's it's part of our national identity. Yeah. And um, one thing that's very disturbing is the um, U.S. Buster Review from from last year is saying that uh, as long as nuclear weapons exist, the United States will will have them to deter attack, uh, and we will. The U.S. will. This is a quote from them. The U.S. will only consider the use of nuclear weapons in extreme circumstances and defend. The vital interests of the United States, its allies and partners. And that might sound very benign and uh, you know, helpful to really. a better world and all, but but uh, the vital interests of the states and its allies and partners. Um, you know, they're not my interests necessarily. Uh, the interests of the Saudis and the, and the <laughs> UAE and, and and all of our other allies. Uh, uh, you know, we're we're looking for um, our our interests are, you know, healthcare and education, and a, and a uh, cleaner environment, and you know, s s um, uh, dealing with climate change issues. You know, these these are these are the priority people, but they're not the national beast of the United States. 
It's allies and partners. And what this is saying, too, if you look at a broad view of history, is every empire has come and gone. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Augustus, Augustus declared just about the time that Jesus, just before Jesus was born, that Rome was the eternal empire. At the same time, he announced that he was God. <laughs> and and uh, you know, everything, you know, the Ming dynasty, the Aztecs, the Ottomans, the Habsburgs, uh, they, they the, the British come and gone. Yeah. The British, the Dutch, they, you know, they've come and gone, but the United States is, is um, drawing a line in the sand saying, uh, we are the last empire. Yeah. We're so, it. So now this and is... we a... will kill every man, woman, and child on this planet if it comes to, um, if it comes to the United States, you know, the, 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 you know if it comes to the, the, whether the United States interests... Now that, that, if its empire is threatened, we will pull the plug. Now that's not, that's and of course there's, there's a hubris of that. That's of course not a direct quote. <laughs> that's 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 a paraphrase um, or an interpretation, I should say. But now there was um, just last week there was a congressional um, report released, I think called the final report, and and that's yes. is, is that um, does that shed any additional light on the 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 U.S. government's uh, you know position on nuclear war? Yes, it does. I, I think it's kind of, uh, I get a chill when you say it's the final report, and I hope it's not. Okay. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's, it's uh, U.S. Congress commission came up with suggestion that, that it is necessary the United States be prepared in the near future to fight and win nuclear war simultaneously with Russia and China. And that's not the first time that they've they've talked about about winning. The Joint Chiefs of Staff back in 2019 issued a report you know, of these new nuclear weapons, such as are being built right now in Kansas City, saying that they will, with these weapons, they will help our commanders prevail on the battlefield. And maybe the only field left. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, and another. This is a quote from the, the the deterrence policy that we're talking about before. The fundamental role of U.S. nuclear weapons is to deter nuclear attack. More broadly, they deter all forms of strategic attack and mm-hmm. assure allies and partners, and allow us to achieve presidential objectives if deterrence fails. Mm-hmm. So if deterrence fails, uh, yeah, it's what what does that mean? Presidential objectives. If deterrence fails, what yeah. it means is that we really hope we don't need to use these, but we have to be ready to. Yeah. And, so, and there isn't going to be any future after that after that point. So so much for protecting our interests. Um, yeah. So like what, what are what? How are our prote- interests being protected by responding to anything yeah. the Russians might do with a nuclear weapon? So what is happening? I mean, I mean, I mean, we had back in the '80s when you and I were. First, getting involved with uh, with social justice and peace work, uh, there was a vibrant peace movement. Where is what is the status of the peace movement in the U.S. and around the world nowadays? Well, that's that's a sad question. I think one thing is Women's League for International Peace and Freedom. Our monthly meeting, the monthly meeting, is going to be held at the Central Senior Center on Forest Avenue. <laughs> It's not a cause that young people have, have have embraced. No, not not so much. Here. Why not? I was in Europe for part yeah. of the summer, and and I was really, uh, you know, the Catholic worker in Amsterdam organized a protest at the 
local at the, the nuclear sharing base in Holland, where the Dutch Air Force base, where the U.S. has a squadron that maintains 20 nuclear weapons, and they, they, they're ready to load them on Dutch planes at any moment to be delivered by the Dutch on, on whomever is a threat to our U.S., uh, to, you know, to, to our uh, objectives. And, um, yeah, the Catholic worker from Amsterdam was the main sponsor, but we had, you know, more than a busload of young people from Amsterdam come down from mm. Extinction Rebellion. Mm. Oh, really? And I really so think extent... that, that in Europe and other places, uh, young people are realizing and seeing the connection between climate change and militarism. Sure, because as climate change gets worse, you see conflicts um, conflicts arise, and as conflicts become more intense, the risk of war and the risk of nuclear war, of course, increase. So yeah, there's an absolute connection. Um, and then there's a connection, too, in that, that, that there isn't a bigger waste of, of, of fossil fuel. You know, think, think of what it means right now when there's aircraft carriers heading, out, heading to you know, the Mediterranean, heading toward, towards Israel. And think of what it means that all the heavy equipment being sent to Ukraine now and mm. the training for, for um, you know, the, you know the, the, the Dutch are getting rid of their F-16s for the new F-35 and they're, they're donating their F- F-16s to, yeah. to Ukraine and they're going to be training all these, I mean, and, and these war, warplanes yeah. produce CO2, you know, by the ton per second. It's, 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 yeah. you know, all yeah. the, all the things that we're doing that, about climate change that that don't that don't include trying to 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 deal with these with these uh, conflicts yeah. are are really kind of yeah you know, fruitless. We, we we need to you know the, the the you know the threat to to the planet is is militarism, plain and simple. You know whether it's going to be through climate yeah. change or climate disaster or a nuclear war. Well, Brian, I've got to run to a and, break. Um, I don't want to interrupt you, but I've got I've got to, I've got a I've got a clock to deal with here. <laughs> but um, yeah. So Brian, again, uh, we have uh, you're coming to Des Moines to give a talk. I know you travel a lot, but we're happy to have you in our home city here. Uh, this coming Thursday, October nineteenth. Uh, what seven p.m. is it? Ah, uh, yes. Okay. At the uh, I can't remember the location. It's the um, Central Senior Center, two thousand eight Forest Avenue. Great. Okay, well, hey, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, folks, we've been talking with Brian Terrell. We've got to take a short break, and on the way out, I'm going to leave you with uh, a Bob Dylan tune that should remind us of the importance of addressing not just the env- environmental concerns and climate concerns, but concerns of peace and war as well. You'd have never done nothing But build, destroy You play with my world Like it's your little toy You put a gun in my hand You hide from my eyes And you turn and run farther When the fast bullets fly Years ago, Chef George Fromaro envisioned a new market to house all his favorite foods under one roof in the heart of Des Moines. From that vision, Gateway Market was born. Over the years, Gateway has become Central Iowa's premier good food store, bringing together the world's finest products with Iowa-grown foods and passionate, personalized service. Gateway's welcoming environment in downtown's Sherman Hill neighborhood 
encourages discovery, and honors the simple pleasures of the table. If you're looking for quality foods with a community focus, experience the good food difference at Gateway Marketing Cafe. Catholic Peace Ministry was founded in 1981 to work for peace and justice. It's an independent nonprofit with no ties to the Des Moines Catholic Diocese and is guided by an ecumenical board representing many faith traditions. CPM focuses on the urgency of nuclear disarmament and the need for diplomacy in Ukraine. CPM also provides an educational forum about the permanent war economy, which must be challenged if we are to achieve lasting peace and justice. Learn more at catholicpeaceministry.org. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon with you here, folks. Hey, thanks again to our sponsors, including Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Dr. Joel Westrom and his staff are fluent in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open from Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been caring for all creatures, great and small, for over 30 years. Learn more at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page. All right, I'm very happy right now to welcome to the program a candidate for President of the United States, David Gardner. Hello, Dave. Welcome. Ed, yeah. good to talk to you. Thank and you. your slogan, I believe, is Dave the Planet, which is, I think, um, a pun on Save the Planet? Yeah, that actually was from a typo in a tweet that I saw a few years ago. I, uh, that was an accident that I thought... Hmm, kind of clever. Let's use that. And you went with it. Okay. And it doesn't mean that you want everybody on the planet to be named Dave or... No, and I'm really, you know, I don't have that big an ego, I don't think. I was a little <laughs> bit, uh, you know, a little bit uncomfortable with going with it, but my campaign volunteers all said, nope, this is it. And, uh, <laughs> so we had a little uh, d- democracy in action making the final decision about that. So first, to, remember. first off, what's your background? Well, a uh, longtime filmmaker, a professional filmmaker for uh, most of my adult years, but uh, the last 20 years, I really have been a growth buster. I uh, turned my back on uh, chasing the crazy American dream of more, 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 and uh, started trying to save the planet, trying to bring some, some sanity into my local community that was really addicted to growth. And... Uh, I think I followed a path that's not altogether hmm. dissimilar from what you've been doing in your hometown, in your state. Yeah. Uh, and your hometown, similar results. And your hometown is Colorado Springs. Yeah. And yeah. have you have you? And seen, I even ran for city council at one point. Okay. Uh, on a no growth platform. And I walked through your town years ago on the Great March for Climate Action. Uh, took us a couple of days to get through. Uh, yeah, enjoyed the visit a lot, but. Um, you're, uh, I mean, oftentimes people run for president with another office behind them. You're kind of coming straight out of the gun. I mean, anymore, though, there's lots. I mean, we have all these candidates running on the Republican side with no previous political office holdings. Um, but you're running, uh, it sounds like, with a primary concern about the climate crisis. Yeah, and I'm doing, I'm going straight from uh, never holding public office to going for the, the big one because, 
we just don't have time. We can't wait around for me to spend 10 or 20 years uh, running for a senator or governor or, or any of anything like that. Uh, you know, I'm convinced that uh, we are, you know, if not now, we are days away, hours away from, from now or never uh, in terms of whether we leave our kids a dead planet or a, a decent chance at having a bright future. So is it, is it that, I mean, the, the opinion seems to be divided. I mean, you've got, uh, you know, you've got um, Guy McPherson on one side who would, would totally agree with the description of a potentially dead planet if we keep going on this trajectory. You've got climate scientists like Michael Mann who say, you know, it's not good, but we've got a fighting shot at fixing this. Uh, where do you fall on that spectrum? Well, <laughs> I think over the last 12 months, I've moved a lot more in Guy McPherson's direction, and it's just because you, you know, you can't miss it uh, in the news. The, the news every week is really never good. We seem, you know, we're working on all these little, really we're working in silos, you know, when mm -hmm. the biologists are working hard to save endangered species or to preserve habitat and uh, uh, the uh, climate activists are working really hard to try to get us to uh, stop introducing so much carbon dioxide into the atmosphere and, and so on and so on. And uh, no one is giving us, uh, you know, any kind of a decent report card. We are losing right. ground in every area where the uh, the consequences of us outgrowing the planet are uh, are destroying the planet, and that's what this is all about. You know, like we sort of jump into it without saying, but in case there's somebody who hasn't been following your show or following what I do, you know, we're in deep ecological overshoot. It's a it's mm -hmm. a crisis, and. Uh, there is, as you mentioned, there are some varying opinions about uh, how close we are to the edge, to where we uh, really can't come back. And it's a, at least a, a best, maybe a Mad Max world for our kids and their kids. Um, some people think maybe we're uh, 100 years off from catastrophe. But I'm beginning to think, just based on those report cards, we don't have much time. Yeah. Well, and, and it's, uh, you know, I've, I've been, what, what puzzles me to the point of having scratched all the hair off my head uh, is, uh, I mean, the, the, the disconnect, people who get it, and more and more people understand that we have a major crisis. And, I mean, Des Moines is a sea of uh, mostly progressive Democratic types in a, what is now a, a fairly red state. Um, my, you know, Ron DeSantis complimented us the other day and called Iowa the Florida of the North. Um, minus the alligators. But, uh, I mean, an example of the problem here is we... Uh, there's a $350 million bond proposed to, to totally overhaul and increase the size of the Des Moines airport. And yet people who understand climate change and understand that air travel contributes 5% of the global climate problem still, you know, still support expanding the airport. I, I, the, the, the disconnect boggles my mind. And maybe your campaign is something about addressing that disconnect and turning knowledge into action. That is a perfect introduction to, to the, the very crux of my campaign, Ed, Ed. Uh, and that is that, uh, you know, on day one, when I'm elected, because we're going to have some kind of a, a miracle that will stun everybody, uh, I will declare a national emergency, and we will begin on that day a national project to get out of ecological overshoot. We will be reporting daily on how we're doing. It'll be like, just like the nation acted uh, in the midst of that COVID 
uh, emergency, except uh, we'll behave we'll behave better because we won't be politicizing that that uh, we won't be politicizing the the crisis. Everyone will be rowing the boat in the same direction, and every day we'll be reminded mm. that we are really in a critical emergency. And when you're in a, an emergency, you act like it's an yeah. emergency. Uh, they'll people will take note when I ground all of the, you know, how many government employees are flying around the, the world every day. I'm going to put an end to that. There'll be almost no flying. Uh, Air Force One will almost never take off. Why? Because it's an emergency, man. So the U.S. ambassador to Japan will be uh, sailing back and forth across the Pacific. You know, if necessary, you know, we, you know, I'm not a big fan of Zoom. I would rather be in the room sure. with people. Yes. But, you know, during COVID, yeah. we just bit the bullet and we did Zoom. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. if we're really serious about curbing our, our carbon emissions, we're going to fly yeah. almost never. Yeah. So the um, that's just one example. Yeah, and another example. Time I mentioned the airport expansion and how people seem to get climate change but still support expanding air travel. Another one is uh, is population growth. Uh, it's almost a given that if you see a story about a decline of population, uh, there was one here in in the uh, just uh, about Iowa recently. There was one about China a while back uh, about Japan. It's always negative if po- the population drops or seems to be in decline, that's a bad thing. And that's some, um, I, I, where do you, where, where would you stand on that kind of a, that kind of a question? Uh, well, I appreciate the opportunity to address that as well, because uh, the, the two main things that we've got to do uh, in order to get out of ecological overshoot, uh, and uh, the one thing is we have to reduce the scale of the human enterprise. And the two things we have to do in order to accomplish that are shrink our economy, I'm going to get elected on that, right? And shrink our population. <laughs> you know, we cannot have either one growing. We're so deep into overshoot. We're way beyond two-planet living here. So we have got to get serious about embracing the the trend of uh, few, fewer births uh, and a contracting population. That's good news, and we'll talk about that every day. And we will... We will measure our progress, and we will incentivize small family thinking, and we will uh, work on phasing out as quickly as possible any incentives that might encourage people to have large families or give them the idea that society, in, in a, on a full planet, values large families. But then, you know, and that's one thing. Ta- talking talking about shrinking the economy, that's likely to get you no support from the usual corporate forces that like to fund presidential campaigns. Correct. You think? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, and that's one, you know, I think that's so just remarkable and shocking. I really thought that I would get uh, more news interest in my candidacy from the get go. But apparently that alone isn't enough to get you to uh, uh, rise to the top of the thousand, roughly a thousand people that are running for president. Is it that many? Thousand? It's. It is. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Well. But you would think the guy that wants to shrink the economy would get some attention. <laughs> giving me a little bit of attention. Okay. Now, your party affiliation. Independent? Democrat? Um, I, I, you know, we've been thinking about starting a party called the Party's Over Party. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
because we need to start a new party. You know, we've been on this binge of overconsumption and uh, chasing this more, more, more and all the materialism. And that party really is over if we want to leave a bright future for our kids. That's not. But, uh, that's, no, I'm independent that, because I don't think any party would have me. Well, that's not a, that's not a bad party. name for a party. The party's over party. Um, I don't. I don't, I, I don't think it's. I don't think it's taken. I would check with the uh, FEC, but it's probably not taken. So what happens? Uh, and you, and you, you, but I don't want. But I don't want people to misinterpret uh, when I when you say the right, party's sure. over. Does that mean it's going to be a uh, that I'm proposing we all uh, have a miserable future of sacrifice, trying to to shrink the economy and our uh, our material footprint? No, it means that we're going to get back in touch with the true joys of life, which yeah. doesn't have anything to do with uh, how many toys we have. Yeah, and, and my wife and I have done a pretty good job in our personal life of, of discovering that. We do very well on, on a little and on growing half of our own food um, and doing a lot with barter and just uh, building community with friends and neighbors and family. But let me ask you this. You mentioned, you mentioned winning and miracle in the same sentence. So I think you're well aware that this is a long-shot candidacy. What happens? I mean, you're running... I think largely to get a message out there to, to generate discussion about about the topic of growth and population and sustainability and livability, correct? Well, when I set out originally to do this, that was my number one goal was to use this as a as a way to alert and educate uh, policymakers, journalists, and the general public. But what really, yeah, as I've contemplated it and worked on the platform and the policies and everything and paid even more attention to what's going on i've really come to believe that you know you know our uh, if you look at my website there's a couple of check boxes there's a check box check box to vote for dave and a check box to vote for the planet and i've become convinced that that's really where we are yeah. and i really do need to find a way to get elected or it's curtains for okay. our kids and if you don't win would you support uh, joe biden or Donald Trump, or Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Well, I, you know, there are some people who are worried about being a spoiler, and I do not want to be a spoiler. So I, I'm basically giving myself, I guess, about ten months now to uh, to stun the world, and me too, to to have this campaign explode. Uh, but if it if it hasn't by the time the deadlines for state ballots come around somewhere around there, we're going to have to decide, mm. and we're going to have to look and see what the, the polls say. Yeah my staying in the race would do. I, I, do, I do not want to do anything that increases the chance of, what's his name, having a second shot at the presidency. <laughs> but Dave, thank you so much for joining us. Man, Dave, thanks for the conversation. We've been talking to Have Dave, me back Dave Gardner. He's a, a candidate for president. He's um, got quite a history in filmmaking, including a film called Growth Busters Hooked on Growth, which I have uh, viewed the trailer and it was very, very well done. Uh, so, hey, um, folks, uh, we'll be back in a minute. Kathy Burns will be joining me. We're going to be talking about ultra-processed foods and whether or not we need a label indicating that some of those foods might actually be addictive. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Clipsham asks that you use the most energy-efficient methods you can afford and the greenest, longest-lasting materials available. Examples of Mark's work can be found at architecturebysynthesis.com. That's architecturebysynthesis.com. 
At Westrom Optometry, Dr. Joel Westrom and his team provide a variety of services, including comprehensive eye exams, children's eye exams, and LASIK co-management. Whether strictly utilitarian or a fashion statement, your comfort and vision are Westrom's primary concern. Dr. Westrom and his staff will work closely with you to determine the best solution for your eyes, prescription, and lifestyle. Services are provided in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Hey, thanks again to our anchor sponsor, Gateway Marketing Cafe at Central Iowa's premier good food store, bringing together the world's finest products with Iowa-grown foods and passionate, personalized service. If you're looking for quality foods with a community focus, check out Gateway Marketing Cafe. Kathy Burns is with me, folks, and we are talking, as we always do, about food, (laughs) and specifically about our favorite food, ultra-processed foods. Well, it's a favorite food for a lot of people, not just in the U.S., but across <laughs> across the globe. It's it's pretty interesting. Uh, some recent analyses of about 300 different studies says that ultra-processed food addiction was estimated to occur in 14% of adults and 12% of children. Yeah. And what do we mean by ultra-processed foods versus... Uh Health, natural food, what's the opposite? Unprocessed. Well, well, according to Harvard Health Publishing, unprocessed or minimally processed foods are whole foods. They're not, you know, torn apart, uh, in, in which the vitamins Rent. vitamins and nutrients are, are still intact. So they may have some parts dried, crushed, roasted, boiled, frozen, pasteurized to make them suitable to store and later to consume. Uh, Minimally processed foods are kind of like part of what my second breakfast was, which was not just raw almonds, but those Marcona almonds that have, they're roasted, they have a little oil, a little salt. salt. So that's (laughs) minimally processed. And then ultra processed are mostly made from substances extracted from food, such as fats, starches, sugars, hydrogenated Everything. So what would a Pringles potato chip be? That's pretty ultra. It ultra, is, okay. You don't take a piece of potato and just and just um, <laughs> cook it. You you mash it to smithereens till it's unrecognizable. <laughs> you add a bunch of stuff and then you shape it into a chip shape so yeah. you can fit it in a jar. So a French fry would be like minimally processed. Yeah, or moderately. Even, even, moderate, even though it's not particularly good Depend- for you. Well, not a, not, a, uh, not a fast food French sure. fry, yeah. but maybe a, a local cafe. So this is like the, the biggest softball question you'll ever be thrown, Kathy, but what are some of the possible consequences of overconsumption <laughs> of ultra-processed foods? Well, to me, the worst one is people forget what real food tastes like because they can't <laughs> well, really enjoy anything well, unless it's Yeah, because it's super... It, they get addicted to that flavor. That's right. Yeah. That's right. But, I mean, some serious health and, uh, you know, just quality of life issues, obesity binge eating disorders, poor physical and mental health, lower quality of life, just a focus on those foods. And if you can't find them, you don't feel right. So and, and 
And then again, I don't know, you, you, worked at, you worked with the American Cancer Society for a long time, so you're familiar with mm-hmm. addiction problems. Mm-hmm. And are there, are there similarities to items in or, or the, the, the content of ultra-processed foods with cigarettes, alcohol, that make it addictive? Yes. Um, they, uh, they're not only addictive, but they're detrimental to human health and well-being. Um, the, the, it causes people to have intense cravings for it, kind of tobacco, okay, alcohol, sure. if you're addicted to that. Um, lack of portion control. Mm. Uh, people don't know when they're full. They can't stop eating. They have withdrawal if they're not accessing those foods. Um, they continue to use those foods despite the consequences. So um, that's why mm. some scientists, some researchers are now recommending that the label harmful, addictive, etc., be put onto ultra-processed foods. And they're saying that it, it will help consumers have information to make informed decisions. It'll help mm. medical professionals be more aware of what they can be treating par- people what if, for. What about just outlawing them? <laughs> well, that I, I don't know. I don't have an opinion on that right now. Yeah. I, th- I, I think the, pro- the bigger problem is our social and economic structure. If people can't get fast yeah. food, stuff in a bag, stuff to heat up, they're not going to be able to put food on their table because we live in the United yeah. States and it's where people work themselves to death. They don't take, they're not allowed to take days off, time for their families. Um, it's really hard to put food on the table that comes from real food. Mm-hmm. So it's it's tough. Um, the big question, too, is do those labels work? So some research shows that uh, warning labels on tobacco products has coincided with a reduction of people's starting to smoke and mm-hmm. um, helping those who quit smoking start the habit again. Yeah. So um, the larger and more graphic the labels are, the more effective they are. However, on alcohol products, that uh, warning is on the back of the bottle in fine print, <sighs> so they're not as effective. Yeah, cigarettes are more prominent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It should be right on the front of the Pringles potato chip container. Eat right? it and die. Eat it. Well, I don't know about that. No, I, I, and I have... I think the biggest problem with this is going to be deciding what is addictive, who does that, who gets to make that call, mm-hmm. and the lawsuits you're going to have fighting these yep. companies. That's right. Hey, Kathy, thanks for joining us, and thanks to our guests today, Brian Terrell and Dave Gardner. Thanks to our production team of Sherry Herdina, Forrest Detterman, Charles Goldman, Kathy Burns, and myself, Ed Fallon. Thanks also to our local small business partners, Gateway Marketing Cafe, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, and Western Optometry. Thanks also to our nonprofit partners, Catholic Peace Ministry, Iowa Physicians for Social Responsibility, Bold Iowa, and Birds and Bees Urban Farm. And thanks to the Des Moines Irish Session for our bumper music. Back next week, folks, with another hour of Cutting Edge Talk Radio.